Bruchim Abayim. Welcome to the Shir, weekly Shir. This week's Pasha is Bolok. People have told me that um, for those that are on Skype, since you are several people, when one person talks, it disturbs somebody else. So we ask if uh, you can mute your microphones on Skype. We really appreciate it. <coughs> this week's Shabbos Pasha's Bolok. Shivasa Bitamas. Shabbos is Shivasa Bitamas. Shivasa Bitamas is the beginning of the period known as the three weeks. Three weeks are this very, very sad period of time, marking the time of destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, the Holy Temples. As <coughs> we know, that Tisha B'av, both temples were destroyed on Tisha B'av. Shivas Tamas, as we know, is the beginning. The breakthrough into the walls of Yerushalayim, beginning of the real siege of the holy capital city. Pasha's Bolok, as we know the story, as it may be, Bolok was a wicked hired king He was a wicked man, and of course, technically, we would ask if he was a wicked man, why would a portion of the Torah be named after him? He was a wicked man. In that he wanted to destroy the Jewish nation, and he knew what Yitzchak Avinu had said: "Akel kol Yakov vayedayim v'deisav." And therefore he figured that not only if the Jews' strength was in their voice, then that would be the way to destroy them as well. 
question remains. Question remains: Why would the parish be called under his name? We know in Zaya it's brought down the stakel beraisa bar alma. The Almighty looked into the tailor and created the world. So, in essence, the world the tailor is the blueprint of the world. There's no proponent not important to the world. Be it a Russia, be it a tzaddik, be it an insect, be it an animal. Everything has a reason and a purpose in the world. And the world can only exist because the Almighty created each and every one of these things. And therefore, the wicked, the concept of wickedness and vicious, also was created as a creation in the world. Thereby being part of, in essence, the world. And therefore, there's no contradiction the fact that the parasha should be named after him. And in essence, life is a pendulum. A pendulum in that the expression goes, what goes up must come down. And the same is as well in spirituality. In spirituality, If a person, God forbid, does a sin, the windows are open for him to repent. The windows are open. The gateways of heaven are open. The Almighty is always welcome, is always awaiting to welcome the repentance. We as people, unfortunately, although we are created in His form, we have a difficulty doing that, forgiving. And there are many of us, unfortunately, that have had something wrong done to them, that have been wronged by other people, They can never find it in their hearts, in their minds, to accept their repentance. The most famous quote from Bilaam in this parsha, Bilaam being the prophet of the non-Jews, of the Gentiles, the most famous quote is, Matevo Ayalacha Yaakov Mishkinei Secha Yisrael. A posuk 
in oration. How goodly are your tents, Yaakov, your dwelling places of Israel. Mind-boggling. Why is it mind-boggling? The mind-boggling fact is that Bilam is the one to say this. Rashi says that Bilam was amazed when he saw the openings of the tents were not lined up one with the other. Why was he so focused on the opening of the tents? Now in essence, the idea is that it avoids the concept of Lashon Hara. It avoids a person looking into someone else's backyard, looking into someone else's home, looking into somebody else's window, and saying, ooh, do you know what I saw by this person? But Bilam was focusing on something totally different. The Medrash Rabban Shia Shirim tells us, the Almighty urges the Jewish people to do repentance, always. And the Almighty says, The Almighty says as He wants the Jewish people to repent, Pischuli Pesach Kechudesh HaMachat Vani Pesach Lochem Psochim Shetiagolis Nechnoses Bey Make a small opening like that, the head of a needle and I will open for you an opening through which caravans can enter. Which the Almighty is saying, a Jew has to start the process of repentance. And Hashem will help him to attain the most lofty lofty goals. So the openings Bilam is referring to is the opening of Chudesh al-Machat, of the head of a needle in comparison with the opening of the gates of heaven. But the question again remains on this Pasuk. We begin the morning prayer, Matev Yaakov. Some have a custom that prior to a chuppah, the Pasuk is called out, Matevo Elach Yaakov. And in the morning prayer we even say, Vani Berev Chastecha, I with my great Chesed. We know the adage, a stranger for a while sees for a mile. Especially if they're familiar with both sides of the fence. That way he's in the best position to know the person's virtues. Bilam was a non-Jewish prophet. And he had a very great insight of the secular world. When he took a close look at the Jewish people, though, he was stunned. He was flabbergasted at their beauty. 
he knew the shortcomings and the faults of the, gen- of the Gentile world, and he voluntarily proclaimed how good were the tents of Jacob, of Yaakov. So in order for a person to dispel any doubts that one may have about our convictions of godliness and Judaism, these are the words that we start our prayer with. And we recall what that Gentile, Bilam, attested to the beauty and the superiority of the Jewish people in our religion. And ultimately that is a very, very integral part of this week's parasha. We know, my friends, we ask again the people on Skype if you could please mute your mic because you're disturbing other people. Bilam is visited by the generals of Bullock. Bullock sends messengers to Bilam, come join me, come help me curse the Jews. And Bilam, ironically, or in essence, was scared of them. And therefore, although he wanted this very much, he gave one excuse after the other as to why he cannot, cannot, cannot until Bullock sent higher and higher ranking officers. And the money and the price went up higher and higher. Bilam therefore was so excited about this when God spoke to him at night said he may go but it will only be for blessings. Bilam was so excited the Pasuk tells us Vayakam Bilam Babeker, he got up in the morning, and he saddled his donkey on his own. <laughs> he saddled his donkey, and the donkey asked him when he was riding on him later, and he got squashed in the wall, and he was beating him up. He says, why did you take me? Why did you take your horse? And he answers him, my horse, <laughs> my horse is in the field. The horse is in the field, so the donkey in essence should have asked him, so go to the field and get the horse, why did you take me? But he doesn't ask him, because the answer when he said, my horse is in the field, is a totally different story. Bilam was from Mitzrayim originally, he was in Mitzrayim. And when the ten plagues smote, smote the Egyptians, and one of the plagues, all the animals were told to be brought into the house, because they were going to be killed otherwise. Bilam was smarter than everybody and he refused to take his animals inside. So his horses got killed as well. So when he asked, the donkey asked him, where's your horse? He said, it's in the field. He meant, he referred to the field that was in Egypt and he hasn't got a horse any longer. But he saddles the donkey on his own and Rashi tells us, Mikan, from here we see, Shehasinah mekalkelas asashura. Hatred destroys logic. 
Hatred destroys logic. When a person hates somebody, they cannot think straight. If a person hates somebody so much that they cannot see straight, their actions and their behavior is totally wrong. It's not the Torah behavior. For we know Anyone who has kas is as if he served Avedizara. Idol worshipping. If a person gets angry, what did anger interpret? Anger interprets that I don't believe God forbid, that God is actually doing this to me. I believe you, my person, is doing this to me. And because the person says that, it's as if he served idol worshipping. And therefore, if a person cannot find in their heart to forgive no matter what was done to them, If they cannot dig deep enough with their belief in God to forgive and to forget, it's because the sinner is Michalkelis Ashura. How much is so? Bilam. Bilam. I'm giving. I'm giving a class now. I'll call you after ten. I know. I'll call you after ten. Bilam, the wicked Bilam, was a very, very important man. But as important as he was, and with all his servants, he went out because of such hatred to go out and to destroy the Jews that he himself went and saddled his donkey and the Almighty says to him immediately Russia you wicked man what you are don't even go there as they say in America. Don't even think of it. You think, you think that by going early in the morning to do something, you're going to accomplish and you're going to become special. You should know, says Amar Kaddish Baruch Avram Avien, Kedomcha Avram Avien, Avram, their father, already came before you. Shenem avayashkem Avram babeke vayachvesh. Avram got up in the morning. Okay, again, we asked people on Skype to put their stuff on, on mute. If you're on Skype, please put your thing on mute, your mic. So you're disturbing all the other people. 
let us delve into this concept. The hatred of Bilam, this important personage, this prophet of the non-Jews, was so strong that he was Mikalkelas as Ashura. It ruined his opinions, he ruined his decisions. And as it says about the curses of Bilam, and the Almighty will turn over to you, for you, the curses, the blessings. And the same way also, we take hatred, we have to turn it over to a blessing. A person that has hatred for a fellow Jew has to take this hatred and turn it over and make it swing to the complete 180 degrees. To the 180 degrees that the person should actually develop a love for the person. There's a mafarish on the Teda that writes when it comes to the saddling of Avram Avinu, when he saddles his donkey, Vayachvesh es chamerei, it's really a little something deeper than that. When we refer to the chamer, the Baal Shem Tov explains to us, when it comes to the concept of Azayv Tazayv Imay, and the Pasik says, Kisira Chamer. When you will see a Chamer, you will look into the Chamer, the Chamer, the not degradation, but the coarseness really of the body. The Pasik says, Kisira Chamer Chavercha. You must go and help him with him. You have to help to elevate, to purify the body. Not to break the body with pain and with torture, but to elevate it. And to bring it into the level of spirituality. This, says the Tera, is when we're referring to the Chamer of Avram Avinu. Things that are permissible and they have no prohibitions to them. You have to see to elevate them that we use them to the fullest and we're going to discuss this soon about this very Shabbos. But when it comes to saddling a donkey of Bilam, which are all prohibitions, we don't have to involve ourselves to elevate them, but we have to destroy them. We destroy the whole logic behind it. To push it, to destroy it, to break it entirely. And this too 
we refer, revert the hate of Bilam until he blesses the Jews. Um, I sent out a story today to a lot of people via email. It's an extremely intriguing story. And one person actually called me to tell me do you know the rest of the story? Now, I called the person to find the rest of the story and I'll be honest with you. Um, I was doing too many things. So I don't have the clear handle of the rest of the story. But in the interim, let me at least tell you the story itself. The stories with names. Hence, there's no reason to doubt By Yosef Wallace, who's now the director of an organization called Arachim, not a Chabad organization. Spoke to an organization that is actually very concerned with preservation, Project Witness of the Holocaust. And he spoke about his father, Judah Wallace. Judah Wallace himself as we will hear soon was a very holy person. Our storyteller apparently is about Shiva. And part of the Shiva took place because of this story, the result of the story. The story takes us to Dachau. A Jew is being taken to his death and he threw a bag to Yudha Wallace. He caught it, he thought maybe there's some bread in it, an extra piece of bread when he opened it all, he was very disturbed. He found a pair of tefillin. He was scared stiff. For he knew. He knew. If he was caught carrying tefillin, he was, to say in America, he was toast. He would be killed on the spot. So he quickly hid the tefillin under his shirt and ran for his bunkhouse. Now he had the tefillin. If he had the tefillin, how can I use them? So before the appel, the roll call in the morning, he quickly put on his tefillin, and to his dismay, a German officer came in. He ordered him to remove the tefillin. He took down the number on his arm, and told him to go straight to the appel. At the appel, in front of thousands of people, who were standing there shivering, in silence, the officer called out his number, 
He had no choice but to step forward. And the officer waved the tool in the air and said, You dog, I sentence you to death by public hanging because you wore these tefillin. Um, I'm going to give you guys a call right back on Skype because there's something wrong here. For wearing this, you're going to be hung. And they put him on. A, they put you on a stool. They put a noose around his neck. And the German officer, Max thought he'd be funny. And he says to him, "What's your last wish?" And he answered, "My last wish is I want to wear those tefillin." One more time. The officer was dumbfounded. He handed him the film. And as he put them on, he said the words, It's not a mini Chabad. We don't say this in Chabad. But most of the world does say this. Verastik the lotion of Bethro. I'll betroth you to you, you to me forever. I'll betroth you to me with righteousness and with justice, with kindness and with mercy. I'll betroth you to me with fidelity, and you shall know Hashem. It's hard for us to picture this Jew. People falling off of here. Also. Hard for us to picture this Jew. What he was doing here. Here he is on his deathbed. Here he is, a noose around his neck, and he's announcing his belief, his faith, his love for the Almighty. How ironic! At this point, he's wearing his twillin with a noose around his neck, his twillin on his arm and on his head. And the Germans in Machshimam Vizakram wanted everyone to see this. They wanted this entire scene to be seen in front of the entire camp.
Therefore, everybody was forced to watch this. And they waited for Rahman al-Islam, this Jew, Qasashalam, Rahman al-Islam, Bihong. In the adjoining camp in Dachau, between which a, a electric fence divided them, the women were in the other camp. And they were also lined up by the barbed wire fence. And they were also watching this terrible sight. They were being forced to watch the sight. But as Yudha turned, right before his dying moment, right before his death, he watched the silent crowd and he saw Jews crying, tears rolling down their faces. Even at that moment, he was about to be hanged, he was shocked. Jews crying? How is it possible? How is it possible they still had tears to shed? They were so, so oppressed. They were so squeezed to death. What tears were they possibly able to shed? And for who? For a stranger. They don't even know who I am. Impulsively he called out in Yiddish. Jeden weet nicht. Ich trag Twillen. Ich bin der Gewinner. Versteht nicht, ich bin der Gewinner. Jews don't cry out, he said, don't cry. With Twillen on, I am the victor. Don't you understand, I am the winner, he said. I'm wearing my twillin, I'm dying in twillin. How much holier does it get? The German officer understood the words that he was saying. This infuriated him. And he said, you dog, you think you're the winner? <laughs> Hanging is too good for you. I'm going to give you another kind of death, he says. And they took him off the stool and the noose was removed from his neck. And he was forced into a squatting position. Two huge rocks were placed under his arms. And they told him he was going to get 25 lashes to the head. Because he dared to put filling on that head. The officer told him if one of those stones dropped, he'd be shot immediately. Because this was such an extremely painful death, the officer advised him, drop the rocks now, you'll never survive. The 25 lashes to your head, nobody ever, nobody ever did. And Judah's response was, no. I won't give you the pleasure to shoot me. I will hold these stones. At the 25th lash, Judah fell unconscious. And he was left for dead. As they were about to drag his body, his body to, the, to the pile of corpses, 
which were going to be burnt in a ditch. And another Jew saw him, shoved him to the side, covered his head with a rag, so people didn't realize he was still alive. Eventually he recovered consciousness fully. He crawled to the nearest bunkhouse. It was raised piles. He hid under it until he was strong enough to come out under his own power. Two months later he was liberated. During this hanging episode and the beating episode, on the other side of the fence we told you the women were standing a 17-year-old girl had been watching. After the liberation, she made her way to the men's camp and found Judah. She walked over to him and said, I've lost everyone. I don't want to be alone anymore. I saw what you did that day when the officer wanted to hang you. Will you marry me? The Klosenberger Rebbe was in Dachau. They went over to the Klosenberger Rebbe and asked him to be Masada the Kedushin. He sat down and he wrote up Iksuba by memory and he married the couple. And of course, needless to say, they're still in possession of that Iksuba. Bilam failed. Hitler Machshamay failed. What is it that keeps us going? Yisrael. The oneness, being united, is what keeps us alive. United we stand, and Chasvishalom the rest. I'd like to go off the Pasha moment for a few moments. This Shabbos, on Shabbos, is Shivasa Batamas. We do not fast on Shabbos. The only time a fast will supersede Shabbos. <laughs> Usually we hear a unison a choir saying Yom Kippur. It's also the basic only time. The only regular fast that would supersede Shabbos but does not come out ever on Shabbos is Asar B'tevis. All of the fasts cannot come out on Shabbos. Excuse me, Asar B'tevis can never come out on Shabbos. What is a fast? A fast day is what's known as a Yemei Ratzayim. A day it's a Yom Ratzon Lashem, a day where the Almighty is susceptible, is accepting, is looking and listening to our prayers. The main thing that we look at when we say about a fast day 
the main concern we have with the fast day is the day of tshuva and kapara. Repentance, forgiveness. The four fasts, Asara Betevis, Shivasa Betamas, Tishabav and Samgadalia, however, they are there basically for mourning. We mourn what happened on these days. Even though the Rambam has already written that these four fasts are in order to awaken our hearts for repentance, and it should be a memory, a commemoration for all the bad that we have done, our forefathers have done, And the bad that they had done was so severe that this terrible, terrible pain befell them. Disaster befell them. For in memory, they will be reverted. So we see from this, therefore, that aside for the mourning that happens in these days of fast, they're also a time of when the Almighty is happy and wants us to awaken to do tshuva. How is the tshuva accomplished? Through punishment of the body, of the physical body. The Alter Rebbe explains... The Al-Tareb explains in the Ageres HaTshuva which we are now saying in Chitas that the Inui, the punishment the lesson the making less of the fat and the blood of the person is as if a person actually brought a sacrifice brought a carbon. From this we therefore can explain according to the very simpleness. This whole thing is bewildering. What's so shocking? We find in the Novi Zechariah also brought down the Halacha the Rambam that in the future, Lost is Lavai. These days of fast will turn over and they will become happy days. How does this work? You want to tell me in the future they're going to be nullified, the fast will be nullified and we won't have to fast anymore? I understand. Since through the Geula all troubles of the Jews will be nullified. So also the memory of any troubles will be nullified. Therefore, the fast days are being nullified automatically. 
Because we no longer have to commemorate anything that happened bad. But why would they be turned over you may sustain the simcha? To happiness and joy. The extra reason that we had of the bitla tzar which the, then intensifies the concept of chiyuvi, of the positive outcome, how could this then become Yom Tevim? But according to all this, we can explain very, very simple. A fast day, in essence, is Yimei Ratzin. It's days that we awaken, we awaken the Almighty's compassion, Only the way that we awaken the compassion is through Inu Ve'evel. Through the fasting, through the torture, and the mourning. And there are those that say, therefore, that this torture only takes place in the time of exile. Because then is a time to awaken a person to repentance. The Eisratzin of the day of the day of the Titus is through Inyaguf. In the future, when we know that it will be the testimony of Ruach that the impurities will be wiped off the ground, off the earth, you no longer need to torture the body to be closer to God. Because then will remain days that are chiyuvi of them. And they will automatically be awakened the service of God. Because the service of God will be ibdu as Hashem b'simcha. To serve God with happiness. And therefore they will revert it. So now let us delve into the concept of a fast that comes out on Shabbos Kodesh. The fast itself, we don't fast, however, it gets pushed off to the next day, which will be Sunday. Unlike some Gedalia, I'm sorry, Tainus Esther. Tainus Esther can come out on Shabbos, actually. If Tainus Esther comes out on Shabbos, we fast on Thursday. Why? Because if Tainasesta comes out on Shabbos, then Sunday is Purim. Sunday is Purim, we can't fast. So therefore we fast before, on Thursday before. Now on a fast on a Friday, only a son of potatoes. So in this case though, since the fast is on Shabbos, it becomes a nitchaz, will be Tishabav, and it is pushed off for Sunday. So Sunday will be a fast day. I'd like to make a dedication to the Shir, to a very Chashavah Jew, 
least the friend of, of the father of a close friend, of Avram Ben Zelda. I don't know what his father's name was actually. He passed away two days ago. And um, we have to see. Perhaps we'll dedicate this year for the year. It'll be up to the family. So therefore, Shabbos, we don't fast. It's pushed off the fast because of the holy day of Shabbos. And we're not allowed to be sad on Shabbos. So the Dhiya, the pushing this off is only because of the punishment. But not for the concept, not for the fact that Shabbos, that this day is still an Ace Ratzain, it's still a time for Shuvah. The fact of Ace Ratzain still remains in the day, even when it's on Shabbos. We know it says in the part, we say in Davening, Chemdas Yomim, referring to Shabbos. In that case, it's understood not only Eitz Ratzin is not a contradiction to Shabbos, its Indian is Shabbos itself. Lachayesim Berov, the Pasik says. The Altarebbe explains Chsidis. The union of fasting, of torturing oneself on Yom Kippur, which there are those that say Yom Kippur is the fast of fasts, because Yom Kippur is literally mentioned in the Torah, and the rest are Dibri Kabbalah, is based on the Pasuk and Tilim as well, Lachyesam Berav. Lachyesam Berav is to give life with hunger. The life of each and every Jew on Yom Kippur is from spirituality. We are now pure neshamas, pure souls throughout the day of Yom Kippur. The goal of Yom Kippur is connecting the soul and the soul alone. Nurturing the soul and the soul alone. How do we nurture the soul? We nurture the soul through fasting. We nurture the soul through fasting and therefore Throughout Im Kippur, we accomplish what we need to accomplish only for the neshama, not for the body.
This, therefore, the torture of Yom Kippur, as our Rebbe explains, is the torture to the body, so that the body can become one with the soul. And really, the Alter Rebbe says, according to some opinions, the same is with every fast. But from Yom Kippur brings down the Ezratzen onto all the other fasts. That's why it's called the fast of fasts. For the torturing of the body of the soul on the day of a fast is the union of Chiyuv. Shabbos, on the other hand, because of the Shabbos Einig, we have to have Einig Shabbos. Einig Shabbos is dafke through eating and drinking. Yayin, Yosha, Basa, Shuman. It's important that one not only eats on Shabbos, one enjoys their food. One enjoys what they are eating. One does not sit and count calories, but rather enjoys the food. For that's how we actually honor the Shabbos. The concept of L'chiyesim Berov stands true on Shabbos by eating. By eating. The hunger referred to is accomplished by eating. That's what Shabbos does for us. And therefore, we now find the concept of Lachyes and Berov in two different aspects. One being fasting and one being eating. The beauty of Torah. So therefore now when a fast day comes out on Shabbos, we find therefore that the day of the fast, in addition to the fact that it's Eitzratzen, it has a certain awakening that the day of the Tainus because Shabbos itself has an Shlomos. The completions of Shabbos, the pleasures of Shabbos, the spirituality of Shabbos, and the beauty of Shabbos, through Achil and Shtia. And that's why, in essence, the Achil and Shtia of Shabbos will be almost in comparison to the torture that the fast does to a person when they don't eat it on the weekday. That doesn't mean that if we eat well on Shabbos, we don't fast on Sunday. We have a little controversial issue here. Going back to the actual parsha of Yogar Mayav, Pasik tells us. The Balak ben Sipa saw what the Jews did to Emeli, which was nothing. And Mayav got frightened, and therefore Mayav said, Medish tells us, 
hired Bilo, hired Balak to be their king because they knew what kind of fiery, vehement anti-Semite he was and therefore hired him to rule, quote-unquote, the nation but ultimately it was really to take them to war to destroy the Jews. And therefore at the end of the Pasha when we find that Balak, Bilam goes home to his home it says Balak returns also home. Balak doesn't return home to Mayav, he returns home to Midian. Because in essence he was a Midianite. But what was Vayagar Mayav after all? What were they so frightened of? We learned last week that the Jews came to Mayav and they didn't give him permission to go through the land. They surrounded the land. So here we understand that Bullock. So here we have a question what was Bullock scared of? They saw that the Jews are not looking to fight. So we, perhaps, as the Rebbe, we could say, the Pasuk Vayar Bullock. The explanation Rashi is Elu Shnei Malachim Hayinu Betuchim Aleim Leyamdu Fneim Anu Alachas Kam VeKama LeFichach VeYagam Meyav Elu If the two great kings Sichin and Eig could not stop the Jews and the Jews kill these two giants. They could not stand up, who can? And therefore, according to this, we can explain it simply. Bolak thought the whole time, why are the Jews not fighting with the other nations? Because they were scared of war. Not because it was a commandment, don't attack Mayav. They were scared of the two big kings, the giants. So therefore, Balak said, we can also rely on the giants. They will be our allies any day. But once he saw Sichan and Eig fall, and the two giants be destroyed, then he woke up and he said, "Uh uh-oh, I better be careful, I better watch out. One of the items in the parasha Basisrei, Vayikra Velecha Vesamadinus Leinemesha. The Rashi tells us, Amalei Mesha Mesha said, Amalei Mesha Mesha said to him, Zua Sura Zumutaris, this is prohibited, this is allowed. Im Temer Asura. In that case, they said to him, Mesha, Amalei, they said to him, Mesha, this is prohibited, this is allowed. If you're going to say it's prohibited, how is it that you took the daughter of Yisrael? There's a machlekes in the Masech the Zavachim on page 102 on the first side. Was Meshach Rabbeinu a Kayan or not? 
And according to some, he never stopped being a Kayan. His generations after him were only Levian. But he himself was a Kayan. According to this, we have the question. Even though the daughter of Yisrael was not Aser to Mesha because she was a guy, a Shiksa, because ultimately she was Megaya, we still don't understand, according to the Madhyama that says that he was a guy, he was a Kayan, how it was it allowed that Bas Yisrael should marry Mesha? A convert is not allowed to marry a Kayan. A Kayan is not allowed to marry a convert. And there's different answers. Perhaps we could say, learn in the Sechtas Yivomis, 61, side 1. Amona, Vinisnamna, Lias Kengadul, He married an Amona, and then he became Kengadul, who's not allowed to marry a, a, a widow. Because we learn from the Pasuk Yikach Isha, if the Kichas Isha was in a time when it was permitted, it was only regular Kayan, then we leave it alone. And according to this, therefore, we can say we understand the whole thing. Yisra's daughter married Mesha. Not only the Edison was Mutter, even the Nisuyan was Mutter, the two parts of the marriage. Because when she married Mesha, Mesha was not a Kayan yet. And therefore, she was able to convert. This week's Pasha, Bilam, is merited to talk about Mashiach. And therefore, on this week's Pasha, we have the prophecy of Mashiach. And may we merit to the prophecy of Mashiach. And Yehovchu Yom Elo the Sosin of the Simcha. And these days should return over to happiness and joy. The fast starts Sunday morning. It does not start Saturday night. And it finishes Sunday night by stars come out. Please check your local listings. Or you can text and email me. And we'll give you a time for where you live. Shabbat Shalom to all.